Welcome again, church. Great to see you and guests. We're glad you're with us again online. Audience, grateful that you're with us as well. Uh, we are still on the front end of a new year, and now we're on the front end of a new month. And of course, with every new year and every new month come new opportunities and new joys, but also we have new challenges and difficulties. Uh, we, we know that. It's just part of the human experience where there's no shortage uh, of challenges in our life. And I don't know who said it first, but years ago, uh, somebody wrote it down or said it, and it's been repeated so many times. You'll find it on Pinterest. You know, we refer to it a lot here uh, over the years as a church. But there's a statement out there that goes something like this. It's basically you're either heading into a storm or you're in a storm or you're coming out of a storm. How many of you have heard that, right? A lot of us have heard that. And uh, a couple things about that statement. One, I think we tend to find that to be mostly true uh, with our experience. Uh, the second is, it is one of the most um, discouraging statements, I think, out there, right? Like, does that, is that not depressing sound? Like, hey, just so you know, you're either going to be going into a storm or you're in one or you're coming out of one, which means if you're coming out of one, you're going to be right going back right into another one. Like, thanks a lot for that. I just can't wait for tomorrow, you know? Um, I think there's a, a sentiment there that we just have to be aware of the storms, but I think there's a series of questions that would benefit us more with that type of a concept. And it might go something like this. What kind of faith do you have going into the storm? And what kind of faith do you have while you're in the storm? And what kind of faith are you going to have when you're coming out of the storm? Because typically, the person going into the storm is not the same person coming out of it. And your faith will either be stronger or weaker. And you will either feel closer to God or further away from God. And so when we look at the storms, yeah, we might have one coming. Yeah, we're probably in one. All of us are probably in some degree of a storm now. And we might be coming out of one, but that's not the big deal. What kind of faith will God find in us, whether they're coming or going or whether we're in the midst of them? And so right now, I want you to think about uh, a storm maybe that is going on in your life. Maybe you can think right now about a challenge or a storm that you're going through right now that is testing your faith in the Lord. My hope for us today is that as you leave here, is that you click off, if you're watching online, is that your faith in Jesus will be encouraged and affirmed and it will grow because of our time. Because what we're about to do is we're going to look at a very common uh, moment in the Gospel of Luke, and it's where Jesus calms a storm supernaturally. And it's a, it's a fascinating moment. It's a powerful moment. But I want to make something very clear. And this is really the big idea uh, that I want you guys to anchor your hearts to this morning. The big idea is this, is that it's not, our faith doesn't depend on whether Jesus calms the storms or not. Our faith depends on whether Jesus is in your boat. Because a lot of us really get too fixated on the storm. And we shouldn't be focused on the storm. We should be focused on one who has power over the storm. And is he in your boat? So that's where we're going to be going today. We're going to pray, and then we're going to be opening up our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 8, starting with verse 22. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment today. And we acknowledge that even though there are storms and there are difficulties, uh, you are ruler over them. You are sovereign over them. You have power over them. God, even when we're confused, even when we don't see uh, you working in the midst of those storms, even though we're not aware of what you're doing, what your plan is, uh, we will confess and believe that you're in charge. Help us to have that kind of faith. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ right now who are watching or in this room. God, that our faith will grow today and we'll, we'll be affirmed 
And we'll be encouraged today because of what we hear and experience. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's forgot uh, your power, that Lord, you'll call them back today and realign them with who you are and, and the glory of Christ and the power of Christ. And Lord, for anyone who is not a believer in Jesus, that today they'll take one more step closer to faith in Christ. And that maybe even today they will cross that threshold and actually place their faith in Jesus as their Savior today. So Father, work on our hearts as we interact with your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles or Bible apps to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 22 through 25, just a few verses. Some of you are probably disappointed because you're thinking, just a few verses? We're probably not going to get a lot out of just a few verses. You better think again, right? Because this is God's word, and this is a moment we see uh, Jesus doing a very powerful thing. And so look with me at Luke chapter 8, and uh, I'm just going to read a little, teach a little, read a little, teach a little, but I do want to basically map out where we're going. I want to give you three observations about faith that we learn from Jesus calming the storm. And the first one we're going to see is this, that there's a situation for faith to be experienced. There's going to be a situation for faith to be experienced, and that's what we see when we read verses 22 and 23. Let's look at that together. One day he, that would be Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Just look, look at this minute here and pause. Uh, we see a situation developing, a very life-threatening situation. Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples, and they set out across the lake. Now, where they're at is the Sea of Galilee, and they're somewhere on the north, northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to be going to the eastern side. We'll see a little bit more about what happens when he gets there next week but they're going to be going over to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they set out, there's, there's no clue that the storm's coming. Now, some of you are thinking, wait, time out. You're saying the Sea of Galilee, but in the scriptures, just calling it a lake. Let's just talk about where they're at for a minute because it gives you some texture and understanding. Uh, the Sea of Galilee there in Israel uh, is, is actually a lake, not a sea. It's just been traditionally called a sea because of how big it is. Uh, it's a large lake. It is about 13 miles long and 7 to 8 miles wide and about 150 feet deep. Most people don't know this, but the Sea of Galilee is actually the lowest freshwater lake on earth. It sits right around almost 700 feet uh, beneath sea level. So it's the lowest freshwater lake on earth, and it's this enormous lake. Now, if you go there today, it's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's known by other names, the Sea of Tiberias, because there was a city called Tiberias that was on the coast of the lake. Uh, Gennesaret is a common name, uh, Gennesaret, those kinds of things. That's where they're at. And we see them get into this boat on the lake, and they're starting to cross, and Jesus falls asleep in the boat. And before you know what happens, a storm comes upon them. Now, some of you might be thinking, man, did they not see this coming? Because, uh, you know, granted, four of the disciples, at least that we know of, maybe more, were seasoned fishermen. So you just have to understand, they didn't decide, oh, look, there's, there's clouds on the horizon. I think we have just enough time. Uh, oh, there's a storm that's anticipated, but I think we have enough time. There was no sign of a storm when they got on the water. You've got to remember, these are seasoned fishermen, and it's their boat. So they're not going to go out uh, when it's unsafe to sail. They know when it's safe and when it's not safe, and so they don't see a storm coming. So how did the storm get there? 
Well, a fascinating feature there in the topography of Israel is that you have the lowest freshwater lake in the world, sitting right around 680 feet beneath sea level, but about 40 miles north of it is Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon's about 9,200 feet above sea level. So uh, let me just backtrack for a second. A few weeks ago, I was at the science, uh, NASA Science Center down on the um, uh, lake with, with my family, and there was one little exhibit that I got fascinated with for a few minutes, and some of you who have been there or a place like that have seen this. It was a giant bowl of water, and then there was a fan above it, and there was just a little knob that you can increase the flow of air on the fan. And so if you increase the, the flow of air and the air started blowing on the water, what happened? The bowl started churning, and all of a sudden you had all these waves going on in the bowl. I was kind of geeking out about that. I was like, ha, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun. That's what happens with the Sea of Galilee. You get on the water, there's nothing coming, and all of a sudden, wind comes off Mount Hermon, 40 miles away, 9,200 feet, and it comes swooping down the valley and starts hitting the Sea of Galilee. That's why when you look at the text, it says here that a windstorm came down on the lake because it's coming down from elevation. And so this came out of nowhere. Now, I'm not saying God was up there going, ha, ha, but, you know, he might have been. I don't know. But that's how that came about. And all of a sudden, these men found themselves in a situation. And it was a life-threatening situation. And all of a sudden, the, the normally calm water of the Galilees or the, you know, with the gentle waves became white caps. And then all of a sudden, these waves were hitting this boat and beating this boat. And the wind was gusting against this boat. And uh, the water was flowing into the boat. And it caused a great fear for all in the boat, except for one person, the one who was sleeping, Jesus. Now, we were there uh, back in October. And uh, part of the, stu the study tour when we go to Israel is to go on to the Sea of Galilee on a boat. Now, what we get on is a large boat. It holds about 80 to 100 people. This is a picture of one of the boats that are used for those trips. And when we started our trip, it was fairly calm. But interesting enough, about halfway across the lake, the wind started blowing. And then all of a sudden, we started having, you know, water splashing over the boat and getting into the boat. And so normally, we're dancing, we're singing, and we're, you know, maybe have a teaching time. And we're, all, we're just like, sit down and hold on. <laughs> And it was kind of crazy. And, and of course, this scene came to mind. But the difference is, we're in a large boat that holds 800 people with a motor. They were in a small boat, a small vessel, 12 to 15 people, no motor. Sails, maybe a tackle, an anchor, some oars, and uh, you know, some nets probably. That's about it. And so how scary must this have been as this situation churned up to create an opportunity to express faith, to have faith. Now, I want to make sure something really clear. We look at these experiences that come into our life that cause storms. And it's very easy to get discouraged and to even question God and say, God, why, why are you allowing the storms? Now, just like the disciples, they didn't see the storm coming. It just came. A lot of the storms we find ourselves in come out of nowhere, right? It's that call that you didn't see coming. It's that diagnosis you didn't see coming. It's that relationship that got broke that you didn't see coming. Or maybe you did see it coming, but you were hoping it wasn't going to go that way. And they come out of life. We just have to understand it's unrealistic to think there aren't going to be storms in our life because we live in a broken and fallen world. And a lot of the storms we experience is because we live in a broken, fallen world and we're broken and fallen people, which means some of the storms we experience are because the people that we love make decisions that are very hard to be part of. 
And sometimes it's because we make decisions that cause the storms in our lives. Sometimes it's self-inflicted. But all the same, the common denominator of all these storms is it presents an opportunity to experience faith. But faith in who? Faith in what? That's what we see next. The next point is that the source of faith will be exposed in the storms. When there's a storm, you will see instantly who or what we have faith in. Look at verse 24. So we know the boat's in trouble. Verse 24 says, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Now we know that these uh, disciples, most of them, half of them, if, if anything, were seasoned fishermen. And so uh, they are familiar with the waters of the Galilee. They're familiar with sailing when it's safe and when it's not safe, and they probably have been in storms before. Uh, it is not in the text, but it's just unrealistic to think that they've never encountered a moment like this before, at least those who were fishermen and familiar with the boat. And so we have to unpack that a little bit and think, okay, if these guys are in the boat with Jesus, they're sailing across the lake, Jesus is asleep, and the storm starts to kick up, more than likely, what did they first go to? They probably first went to their ability to sail, their experience to sail, whatever apparatus they might have had in the boat to help them, right? The oars, the sail, the buckets, whatever it was. Uh, they probably went to those things first because that's going to be kind of your default to do. And then might have even uh, been trusting in the boat, like, oh, Bessie, man, she's been through a lot. She can take it. But at some point in time, they thought they had it, until they didn't. And then once they realized that the situation was beyond their ability, then they went to Jesus and woke him up. And as I just processed that, I think, you know, there's kind of a dual dynamic taking place here. On one hand, they didn't express faith, which we'll talk about in a minute because Jesus calls it out. On the other hand, they did finally get to Jesus. They did finally wake him up, which I think is good. And so as we take that and kind of, you know, try to process that into our own life, when the storms of life hit us, who or what do you put your faith in first? Like we talk about this a lot. The, the language we use here is God your last resort or is God your first response? And so um, it's very likely that if we're typical human, that when the waters start to get rocky and choppy and the winds start to blow, we first go to man-made solutions. And so we go to our experience, our abilities, what we know how to do, our opinions, our thoughts. And then, then we'll uh, typically in our brokenness, we'll go to other people that will think like we think and they'll kind of reinforce our thinking. If we're wiser, we'll, we'll start to engage people who don't think the way we think. We'll ask them their opinions. And then uh, may, maybe we'll get counsel or counseling. And then maybe, you know, maybe I need medication for a situation I'm going through. Or, or maybe this technique. And we start going after these other solutions to the storms in our life. And it's not that any of those solutions are bad because there's a time and a place for a lot of those. But that's the best man has to offer. And in reality, whenever we go to ourselves, whenever we put trust in ourselves first, whenever we put faith in ourselves and other people and man-made solutions first, here's the reality. They might help us cope with the storm, but they will never calm the storm. There's only one person who can calm the storm. And that's Jesus. And so, yeah, a lot of those other things can be helpful to a point, but ultimately, where's your faith? Who are you putting faith in? What are you putting faith in? And like the disciples, 
who likely put it in themselves first and then went to Jesus when they realized they were out of our leagues. A lot of times we go to ourselves first and then go to Jesus once we feel like we're out of our league. You know what? Praise God, we turn to Jesus. Like if, if, you, if that's the way you're going to learn, like you got to go to the wall and experience the hardest things first and then finally go, okay, I give up. Good, at least that happens. But doesn't it seem like it would be wiser to, to, to walk closer with Christ on the front end that, that we can walk close to Christ and have faith in him so that when the storms come, our faith is going to be rooted in such a way that it can help push back the anxiety and push back the fear that we're going to experience fear. We're going to experience some of those emotions, but we're not going to be overwhelmed by them and swamped by them. Versus waiting till we're full of anxiety, waiting till we're full of fear, and then finally going to God. And so I think there's a lot of lessons that, that branch off of this moment if we're going to try to use this metaphorically in our life, this actual situation. But I think ultimately what we need to focus on here is the one who calmed the storm. Because uh, it doesn't matter if Jesus calms the storms or not. That, that's not the point. The point is who's in the boat. So let's talk about the one in the boat for a little bit because that's most important. We're talking about Jesus. They went to Jesus. Master, we're perishing. If you look at Matthew, if you look at Mark, they both have the account of the situation. They're basically, if you summarize what's being said there, we're all going to die, don't you care? You know, I think that would be a pretty common response. And so we see Jesus wake up and then he does the absolutely um, unthinkable thing. They didn't see this coming. He, he, he gets up and maybe they think he's going to bail water. Maybe, maybe he thinks, you know, like he's just going to, you know, preach a sermon. I don't know, whatever, whatever. And he speaks calm, and he speaks peace. Just put yourself in that boat for a second. Filling with water, rocking back and forth, being beaten by the wind, beaten by the waves. You're convinced you're going to die in the middle of this giant lake. Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind, rebukes the waves, and all of a sudden, that gust of wind turns into barely a breeze, if anything at all. And the giant two to six foot white caps stop. And now you're just sitting on barely moving water. Like what would be going through your mind? Well, it says right there, they were afraid. Who is this? Who is this that commands the wind and the waves? He's Jesus. He's God. We learned that. And so one of the things I love about this moment is we get to see both sides of Jesus. We talk about his dual nature. Jesus is God in the flesh, the incarnation. So we get to see his humanity and we get to see his divinity at the same time. So let's go to the humanity piece. How many of you, when you look at this narrative, are, are thinking these two questions? One, why does he go to sleep in the boat in the first place? You know, usually when I get on a boat ride, I'm just like, oh, this is cool and I enjoy it. I'm not looking to take a nap in a boat typically, right? So who falls asleep in a boat? Second, who stays asleep in a boat when it's being beaten to death by a storm? Like, how hard do you have to be sleeping to not know that's going on? Any other deep sleepers here, right? It's his humanity. What was he doing for days before he got into that boat? He was teaching the crowds. He was preaching his guts out to thousands of people, and he was ministering to the crowds. And if you look at all the accounts, he was healing people, and he was teaching people, and they kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept teaching, and he kept healing, and he was around crowds. And finally, he gets a moment in the boat 
They push off from the shore. Nice little lullaby, rockaby on the boats. What would you do? He was tired. He was exhausted. This was, this was a nap brought on by fatigue, more than likely. And it shows the humanity of Jesus. He got tired. He needed to sleep. And he was so tired that even the storm didn't wake him up. And so I love that because when we look at the humanity of Jesus, it's a reminder to us, Jesus gets us. His, his human experience allowed him to know what it feels like to walk in your shoes. And so he can understand us. He can relate to us. He experienced the pain or was around the pain with others around him. And so we look at the humanity of Jesus because he was human. Yet, once he was awake and in that situation, he spoke. All he did was speak, right? He just used words and absolutely calmed the storm. Who has power over nature? God does. No one can do that. No one can do that. That's why the disciples said, who is this that can command the wind and the waves? And they obey. It's the same statement you saw. You go back to chapter 7 after Jesus forgives the sin of the woman who touches him. Everyone's saying, who, who can do this? It's the same answer. It's God. Jesus is human. He is divine, fused into one, 100% man, 100% God, the incarnation. He is in the boat. Could they possibly be any safer with him in the boat? And so we see him calm the storm. Before I leave this, I just want to talk about this for a second because this passage and this moment are deeply personal to me. Deeply personal to me. Because a lot of the storms that we go through are on the outside. They're external storms, right? And like many of you, this, this boat, if you will, has been beaten by storms, okay? But it's not always the storms on the outside are the most dangerous. Because when I reflect back on my life, my most life-threatening storms are the storms on the inside. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so whether it's the addiction or it's the depression or it's the anxiety or in my case, the anger. Like there was just a deep, anger in my heart that had built over years. And I think it was a combination of my own sin nature and my own fallenness and my own brokenness mingling with the decisions of the people in my life and their fallenness and brokenness over the course of time. And what happened was I tried different ways of outlets for my anger and it, it didn't really take away the anger. And sometimes that anger exploded out and sometimes that anger imploded in. But, the, but there was always that storm raging that on the most, for the most part, I looked good on the outside, but in the certain conditions, that storm blew and, and, and out it came until I gave my life to Jesus. See, all these other things helped me cope with my anger a little bit, but they never calmed my anger. But once I acknowledged my sinfulness and let Jesus, and I believed that his death on the cross was for my sin, and that God's love for me was fierce, and his plan, his plan for me was best, and I surrendered. God had a process. It wasn't immediate, but over a process, as Jesus stood up and just spoke peace over my heart. And just like he calmed the wind and the waves of the Sea of Galilee, he calmed the wind and waves of my heart. So I've had the joy and the opportunity of being on the Sea of Galilee four times. And every time, I'm deeply moved because I look over the waters and go, what Jesus did to these waters is what he did to me. Now, still a broken vessel, still have a sin nature, which means every now and then those old storms want to rage. You know, they want to blow again. My wife and kids can testify to that, right? It is so different. 
so drastically different because Christ came into my life. And so for those of you who can relate to that, that it's not the outside storm, but it's the inside storm, Jesus can calm that storm. Jesus can calm that storm, but let's be clear. Our faith isn't dependent on Jesus calming the storm. He can calm any storm. He's just not going to calm every storm. And so when we put our faith in the one who's in the boat, that's when we start to see transformation and new life. And so this situation, we see a situation develop where faith can be experienced. And when that faith is experienced, we see the source of the, the, source of the faith is evidence. Is it going to be faith in self, faith in something else, or faith in Christ who's in the boat? And thirdly, we see the strength of that faith will be evidenced. Okay, is faith going to be found? And if so, what kind? How strong is this faith going to be? Let's look at verse 25. After all this happens, and he calms the storm, he said to them, and read the words of Jesus with me. Ready? Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and water? And they obey him. After Jesus calms the storm, he confronts the disciples. And we don't know his tone here, but I think it's safe to say that it was not a harsh tone. It wasn't a condemning tone, but it was an instructive, convicting, instructional tone. When he said, where is your faith? And, and I don't think here, after studying this, I don't think he's saying, you have zero faith. You have no faith. No, there's faith there. But if, if he were to assess their faith, based on what he's saying here, by the statement, where's your faith? He's basically saying, why is your faith so small? Why is your faith so undeveloped? Why is your faith so immature? Or maybe he would say something a little more like, why is your faith so weak sauce, right? Why is it so weak? And I think, you know, if you were to sit down and have coffee with Jesus tomorrow, and you were to say, Lord, I just have a few minutes with you, but I'm just curious, how do you feel like I'm doing with my faith right now? How would it feel for you, for him to look at you and go, well, your faith is very weak. Your faith is very immature and undeveloped. It doesn't take much for you to be overwhelmed by fear. And so you live a lot of your life led by fear rather than being led by faith. How would that feel? I think that's what this moment's feeling like for these guys. Like, think about it for a second. These guys have seen Jesus turn water to wine. They've seen him teach with authority that no one else has ever had to the masses. They've seen him uh, heal people of who knows how many conditions, blind, lame, beggar, you know, um, skin diseases, leprosy. Jesus has healed hundreds if not thousands of people right before them. He's even raised someone from the dead. And they're scared about some wind and some waves. So he's going like, it's almost like Jesus saying, where have you been? Have you, with all you've seen, with all you've heard, and now you're tapping out? Seriously? And I think it's like some of you have weathered some crazy storms. I think there's times when Jesus wants to look at you and go like, time out here. Think about where we've been. With all you've seen, with all you've heard, with all the times I've showed up, is this storm really going to be the end of you? But here's where I think he really gets at the point here about, like, like for, for us, we're sitting like, isn't he being a little harsh? Like, come on, man. It's a massive storm. It was life-threatening. Of course you're going to be afraid. Why would he tell them, Where's your faith? I think it's tied to, like, we only see Jesus talk two times in this narrative. 
saw the last time. Where's your faith? But what did he say the first time? Well, pop quiz, what did Jesus say when they got on the boat? He said what? We're going to go to the other side. We're going to the other side. So was he lying? Was he deceiving them? Was he misled? So I think it was easy for Jesus to take a nap too because he's like, we're going to the other side. Good night. And then when the wind and the waves kicked up, at that moment in time, they, they doubted the person of Jesus. They doubted the power of Jesus. They, they doubted the plan. Like, hey, we're going to the other side of the lake. Look, if Jesus is saying you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. You're not going to go down on the way there. But I think where, where we have problems is we have taken the liberty to do two things. One, we have taken the liberty to tell the Lord that once we have him in our life, all the water should be smooth, right? Once I have Jesus, it's smooth sailing. Really? Would you please find the verse where Jesus or God the Father says, once I'm in your life, it's all smooth sailing from there. It's not there. And so I think we have been either self-deceived or deceived by some false teaching to think that once you have Jesus in your life, it's smooth sailing. We know that's not true. We know that's not the point. And on top of that, how much does our faith grow in the times of our lives when it's smooth sailing? I, I really have never had a conversation with anybody, and probably you haven't either, when someone goes, you know what? My life is so easy right now. Like, like smooth sailing. I can't think of one thing that's like negative. There's no conflict. And you know what? My faith is growing leaps and bounds right now. Just my, my faith is just growing right now in this, in this still place. I have never heard that. And I don't think you're going to hear it either. But when the storms are taking place, guess what happens? Our faith grows. Our faith grows in the storm. It tests us. It's in the hard places where our faith is exercised. That muscle of faith is exercised, and it feels the tension, and it has the opportunity to grow. And so if, if the storm is going to be a place where the faith is tested and the faith is grown, why would Jesus protect these guys from the storm? He knows they have more storms coming, right? Like, once they get to the other side, I mean, down the road, they're going to watch Jesus, the one all their hope is in, they're going to watch him nailed to a cross. They're going to watch the one they hoped in die. And they're going to spend a few days in confusion and grief. You know what that is? A storm, a bad one. And then after that, after the resurrection, when it's like, woohoo, Jesus' life, this is awesome, he leaves, fills them with the Holy Spirit and says, now go preach the gospel. And as they preach the gospel, smooth sailing, right? Uh-uh. Hostile crowds, persecution, false accusation. Most of the disciples die as martyrs. Sound like a few storms to you? So in one sense, this storm is probably part of their equipping of their faith. Like, I don't think this, but sometimes I wonder if Jesus was napping, but he had, I had like the one eye open, seeing what they're doing. How are they responding? This storm, how, they were gonna, how their faith was going to be exposed and revealed and tested was going to help develop them for the future storms. Have you ever thought that maybe the reason the Lord is allowing you to go through the storms that you've gone through or the storm you're in right now is because he knows you've got a bigger one coming or you've got more coming. And he's testing you and growing you now so you're ready. 
So I think one problem is we think we have the right to define how smooth the water is. The second is I think we define what the other side of the lake is supposed to be. When Jesus says we're going to the other side, we go, uh-huh, I know what that looks like. The other side is physical health. So Jesus is going to get me across this water, and he's going to heal me. It's going to be physical health or financial health or restoration of this relationship, or it's going to be this job, or it's going to be this house, or it's going to be this income bracket, or it's going to be in fill in the blank. We define what the other side of the lake is. I think that's very dangerous because, you know, he was going to the other side of the lake here with them, but here's the reality. When you look at the big picture of life and death and eternity, what's the other side of the lake for us from this life? It's eternity. And for us as Christians, it's God's kingdom and it's heaven. So guess what? We're getting to the other side. But Jesus didn't say it was going to be without any storms. So yes, Jesus can calm any storm. He's not going to calm every storm. And really, our faith doesn't depend on whether Jesus calms the storms or not. It's just whether or not he's in your boat. He's with you. You know what's so beautiful about this moment? Jesus didn't leave them. He was with them in the boat. And he was resting because he knew where they were going to go. Sometimes I just wonder, if, if Jesus could rest in the boat, so can we. We can trust. The strength of our faith is going to be evidenced when we're in the storms. And I think the hard part is, when we're, on, when we're in the storms, we start to ask questions like, God, don't you care? God, don't you see what's happening? God, where are you? And it feels like he's sleeping. But you know, we're just saying those truths. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even though I don't feel it, you're working. Those are true of God. But something's happened in the weakening of our faith where we don't believe that anymore. We have to go back to a simple, childlike faith of just trusting the Lord and that he's sovereign and that he knows what he's doing. You know, last night I was on the couch uh, kind of refining my notes and I had some of my paper versions next to me and my youngest sat on the couch with me. She's 10. And she started taking an interest in what I was typing and what I was reading. And after a minute, she just looks at me and she goes, I can see why you're going to teach about Jesus calming the storm. I'm like, really? <laughs> tell, tell me more about that. And I wrote this down because you know, she, she walked away and I wrote it really quickly because I didn't want to mess it up. She said this. She goes, well, sometimes the storms are scary and it may seem like God's not in your boat with you and you're all alone. But he is in the boat and it won't sink even though you may not think Jesus is with you. I'm like, but, but honey, here's my Bible. Here's my notes. You, you just go teach this thing tomorrow. She's 10. Look, I don't know how old you are. You don't have to say. But what happens between 10 and 20, 10 and 30, and 10 and 50, and 10 and 70? The waves, the wind, the storms weaken our faith. We got to go back to, yes, it's scary but Jesus is in the boat. I know if we spent time all sharing our stories, there'd be a lot of of incredible stories of God's faithfulness, knowing that he's in our boat. Um, We can only share one every now and then. We get a glimpse of what a lot of us might be going through. And so um, a family member here at CVC named Tammy was courageous enough to share a little bit about her story and the storm she's going through, but the confidence she has because she knows who's in her boat. So let's take a minute and listen to Tammy share about this. Hi, my name is Tammy, and I've been coming to Cuyahoga Valley Church for about 20 years. I'm a single parent of uh, two young men. 
Through those 20 years, I've been able to serve through the church. Um, I did eight years, about eight, nine years of Sunday school, and, and met some lifelong friends, and I'm currently involved in an awesome life group. So my uh, transformation to knowing Christ um, wasn't like a lightning bolt one day happening for me. God had pursued me for many, many years. Uh, back in 1987, I was a flight attendant, and I was having full-blown anxiety and panic attacks. And I went into the Chicago O'Hare Airport Chapel uh, to pray and ask for guidance. And I looked at the footprints prayer, and that footprints prayer, I was kind of mad. I saw that there was only one set of footprints, and I thought those were mine, and I was by myself. And then I read the end of the poem, and it was Jesus's footprints that He's carrying me through everything. That He would carry me through whatever storms I would go through, whatever life would throw my way. Right now, I am in the biggest storm of my life. Um, I was diagnosed back in November with metastasized pancreas cancer, and um, just like what we're talking about in Luke 8. Jesus um, is in a boat that he knows what's going to happen and has asked me to now get in the boat and go from one side of the sea to the other. A lot of waves, a lot of waves and wind coming at us, but the waves in the boat lets me know um, that everything's going to be okay, that he's in control and going through um, treatments, you know, the waves and, and ups and downs of treatment and the emotional roller coaster. Um, just all the things that come with it. What gives me peace is knowing he's inside the boat with me. Cancer is a very scary word, and the journey can seem to be very scary, but because of my faith in Christ, it's given me a tremendous sense of peace. That doesn't mean that I don't have any fear whatsoever. I think as a mom, I have fear of leaving my boys and you know what's going to happen to them. I, I go back to that, knowing that God's been in the boat, Jesus has been in the boat with me, and he's just given me confidence that this is their journey, part of their journey, and he's going to carry them from one side of the sea to the other side of the sea, so that's what's giving me tremendous peace over that fear. Um, everybody's going through some type of storm in their life. Um, it could be a little storm, uh, you know, something as small as a job aggravation to something as big as when I'm going through cancer, uh, you know, financial problems and job loss. Um, but just know that God is there with you and wants to be there with you. If he's asking you to get in the boat and he's asking you to trust him and be in that boat with you, he will see you through to the other side. He'll work and go through the whole journey with you. Just know that and trust him and he will give you that peace that passes all understanding um, through those storms. Be a little or big. good you know um i love the fact that she was just so real about look it's scary and and, and there's there's definitely fear uh, but there's a high level of faith because she knows that jesus is in her boat and so i don't know what storms are coming your way i don't know what storm you're in or what storm you're coming out of i don't know what kind of faith you had going into that storm i don't know what kind of faith you have in the storm you're in right now I know it. I know you probably want to have better faith on the way out of the storm, that your faith is stronger. And so whether it's an addiction issue, is Jesus in your boat and is your faith fully in him? 
Is your marriage rocky? Look, is Jesus in your boat? And is your faith on him? Whatever's going on in your life, is Jesus in your boat? And do you have a strong, focused faith in him? See, it's not about Jesus calming the storm. That's not what our faith depends on. It depends on him being in the boat with us. And so, as Christians who are going to and are going through storms, I want to encourage you. Hope today is refreshed the joy of knowing that Jesus is in your boat. Keep your eyes on him and your faith strong in him. If some of you got preoccupied by the storm and you've been too focused on the wave and the winds and the, the discouragement, and but Jesus is in the boat, put your faith in him. And if Jesus isn't in your boat, you don't know Christ. Our hope for those of us who do know Christ is that you feel and that you sense and that you see the need to have Christ. And so today can be the day that you invite him into the boat. Probably more specifically, get into the boat he's already in. <laughs> and so you admit that you're a sinner and broken. You believe in Jesus. He truly is God and man the one who died on the cross for your sin. And you commit your life to following him. And if you do that, we want to celebrate that with you and walk with you. And so there's a response card in your program. And over the next minute, we encourage you to take that off. Just mark down that you're giving your life to Christ. Write down an email, uh, an, uh, a phone number that we can get a hold of you. If you're online, you can email us at connect at cbconline.org. And we'll get in touch with you and talk more about how you can walk closely with Christ. Let's stop talking about it. Start talking to the Lord about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder today. We're so grateful that you are a God who's above all things, a great God, a glorious God. There's no storm you can't calm. There's nothing beyond your ability and your power. And we're so grateful that Jesus commands all things, including the storms in our life. Father, we confess that we haven't always had strong faith. As we look at Jesus, as we consider who he is, may you draw us into stronger faith in, in our Savior. And for those who don't know Jesus today, may they cross that threshold of faith and trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So God, help the way we handle our storms glorify our great and awesome God who we can trust with all things. We pray in Jesus' name. We all sit together.